Good morning, everyone. My name's Bron, and we are going to read uh, from the Old Testament firstly. We're going to read from Jeremiah 31, and then we are going to uh, read from Romans chapter 6. So, Jeremiah 31, verse 31 to 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. So now we'll turn to Romans um, chapter 6, verse 15 onwards. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin which leads to death or to obedience or, or to obedience which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, You have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sorry, I've not been good at this today. The American author um, David Foster Wallace, he gave a, a speech... At a, um, at a college, a commencement speech a few years before he tragically killed himself. And what he said was, was quite insightful. Have a listen to this. He said, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive 
if you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. On one level, we all know this already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, bromides, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. What he says here is is just so incredibly insightful. Everybody worships. It's not a question of if you worship. It's only ever a question of what you're going to worship. And if we worship something that's not ultimate, we've actually enslaved ourselves to something that will destroy us. And deep down we might know that, but in our our daily consciousness we, we don't see it. It's like we're powerless to stop ourselves from worshipping things that we know are actually going to do us harm. This is actually what David Foster Wallace says here. It's actually very similar to what we find in the Bible. Uh, As Darren said before, today we return to Paul's letter to the Romans. And in this part of the letter, God is telling us very clearly here that everybody worships. And the only choice we get is what to worship. But instead of the language of worship, Paul uses something that would have been very familiar to the people he was writing to in their everyday lives because about one in three people back then in the Roman Empire were slaves, one in three people. But in this passage, Paul says, actually, everybody is a slave. The only choice we get is what we're slaves to. And this is the first thing that that we should hear God saying to us today. We are slaves to... To what we obey either sin or god you're a slave to what you choose to obey either god or sin look at verse 16 where we see this paul writes don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves you are slaves of the one you obey whether you are slaves to sin which leads to death or to obedience which leads to righteousness In our minds, the question is, do I want to have a master? That's the question that we've got in our hearts and minds. But God says, whether we want a master or not, we've got one. Our master is either sin or it's obedience, he says here. And by that, he means obedience to God. And notice Paul's Paul's not saying that you make this choice by what you tick on a survey or something like that. He's saying you make this choice by where you turn up to work on a Monday. You choose your boss by who you choose to obey. Now, to properly understand what Paul's saying here, we've we've got to get a handle on what he's doing. So first of all, notice what he says he's doing in, in verse 19. He says, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. In other words, he's explaining something with an imperfect illustration. He's saying we're to consider ourselves slaves to God, but at the same time, we're to keep in mind that that's not the full picture. There's much more to the picture than that. If I said, I'm a slave to Kathy, my wife, you'd think I was being the sort of typical whinging bloke, right? But there's actually something in that picture. I know this is dangerous ground, but just stick with me. 
there's actually something in that picture, I'm a slave to Kathy, that's kind of true depending on how you look at it. So if I was to say, I'm bound to Kathy, I'm to pour out my time and my energy and my life for her in a way that I'm not to do for any other woman. Well, in that narrow sense, it'd be true that I'm a slave to Kathy, even though it's not the whole picture of our relationship at all. Well, that's what's going on in this bit of the Bible, except here, the image of slavery actually does fit better. Because unlike in marriage, this is a question of obedience. And this is the second thing that that we need to understand to properly get a handle on what Paul's doing here. He's correcting a way of thinking that's completely misunderstood grace. That's what's going on. He's correcting a way of thinking that's misunderstood grace. Now, do you remember in this letter, if you cast your mind back to when we were last in this letter, do you remember how Paul has made it so clear that we're saved by the grace of God only? We're made righteous in God's eyes by faith in what Jesus alone has done. Not by keeping the law in the Bible, not by anything that we could do. And so the the question comes up from that. So does it not matter then what we do? If we're saved by grace, not by works, then does it not matter if we just happily keep on sinning then? Now that's the kind of thinking that Paul is addressing in this part of the Bible. That's what we've got to get a handle on to understand this part. A couple of months ago when we were last in the letter, we looked at chapter 6 verse 1 where the question was this, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? I don't know if you remember that uh, from a couple of months ago. It's a kind of crazy logic that's going on here. But, But this crazy logic goes like this. If God's grace covers sin, then why not increase sin to increase grace? It's a win-win situation, right? This is kind of like an accountant's question or an engineer's question or a mathematician's question. It's to miss the point and it's to misunderstand grace. It's to think of grace as as like a, a substance or a number that you can enter into a spreadsheet on a ledger. Paul's answer back then was that grace is not something separate to you. When you come to Jesus, you're immersed into grace. You're submerged, if you like, into grace as you're wholly joined to Jesus. Grace is is an identity given to you as, as you're joined to Jesus in his death and as you're joined to Jesus in his life. Grace is not a number. Grace is to belong to a whole new category of being by belonging to Jesus. Okay, that was, that was the answer, the question and the answer before. But now a new question comes up from this. And that's what we see in our passage today. Look again at, at verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? So the crazy logic of this question goes like this. Okay, so if I now belong in this category of grace and I'm I'm not even in the category of law, then surely I can sin and still be within grace. I'm untouchable under this banner of grace. Do you get the logic there? And with this crazy logic, grace is not a number. 
it, it's seen as a state of being that I've been transformed into. But it's seen as an impersonal state of being. And again, it's to misunderstand grace because grace is not a substance, but neither is it an impersonal way of being. Grace, at its heart, is relational. Grace is, is about being in a right relationship with God. It's to be righteous in, in the eyes of God, not because we deserve it, deserve it, but as a free gift because we relate to God with faith. So the right question for us to ask is, what does this way of relating to God, faith, what does it look for, look like in how we live our lives? And part of the answer is obedience. It looks like obedience. The reality is that we have a master. We might think that, you know, in life that we can be our own masters, like I said before. But thinking that we can be our own masters is actually sin tricking us and enslaving us at that very point. Now, we struggle to understand this because we don't think of sin as slavery. We've, we've got a different name for sin. We think of it as freedom. But think about a, a fish. Think about where a fish is most free. A fish is most free in the ocean, isn't it? Where it can swim and live and breathe. But let's say a fish says, I'm sick of being trapped by this ocean. I'm going to free myself. And I'm going to live my life on the beach and enjoy the sand between my scales and the hot skin, or the hot sun on my skin. Now, that's not freedom for a fish. It's probably tuna mornay or a bad smell. A fish is free, only free, when it's bound by the ocean because that's what it's made for. And it's a bit like that for us. We're free when we're bound to God, when we're obeying Him, because that's what we're made for. Anything else is not true freedom. It's short-sighted. And look at where sin will lead you if it's your master. Look at where it will lead you in verse 16. You are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin which leads to death. Or look at verse 21. Those things result in death. Or verse 23, what you earn is death. And this is talking about eternal death. This is talking about facing God's judgment and being cut off him, from him forever. If we choose to obey sin in, instead of God... This is where our master is leading us. But if God is our master, look at where he leads us in this passage. Look at verse 16. God leads us to righteousness. 19. God leads us to holiness. Verse 22. God leads us to holiness and ultimately he leads us to eternal life. And, and notice it's not that we're earning eternal life. In verse 23, the wages of sin is death. We, we do earn death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If our master is sin, we earn eternal death. But if our master is God, we're freely given eternal life as a gift. And so the, the question of how we're going to live our lives is really a question of who are you going to obey? 
And the question, who are you going to obey, is really a question of what kind of master do you want? What kind of master do you want of your life? Do you want a master who will take from you? Where you'll die a million deaths even before they plant you? A master who will enslave you down to death? Or do you want a master who gives to you? Who gives even his own precious son for you to die for you so that he can give you eternal life? See, what kind of slavery is this really? It's an upside down kind of slavery. You can see why Paul is saying this is not a perfect parallel. It's just an illustration. We're enslaved to a God of grace. To a God who gives us far more than he could ever take from us. And so this is the second thing that God is saying to us here from this passage. We are freed. We are freed to be slaves to righteousness. God sets you free to be a slave to righteousness. Look at verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. The freedom of the Christian is not to do whatever we want. Our freedom is that we're now free to obey God. We're set free from the power of sin so that we can willingly, joyfully, naturally obey God. It's like we're taken off the beach and and we're released into the ocean. Now, this doesn't mean that it's always easy to obey God. This isn't saying that if you struggle with sin, you're not obeying God. It's actually saying the complete opposite. It's saying if you don't struggle with sin, then you're not obeying God. Remember, Paul is speaking to people who are at risk of saying, I don't care what God wants. And he's saying, if you don't care what God wants, then God is not your master. Sin is. Our obedience, it's not easy or perfect. It's patchy. And so often it's hard going. But God's grace is relational. And so our response to him is relational. And it's our faith in God that drives us to want to obey God. Let me see if I can give you an illustration that that kind of tries to capture the heart of this. You know, sometimes when a a child can't go to a foster home, uh, they're put in state-based care in like a motel room. You, You see it in the news. It happens in Adelaide probably far too often. And they get different carers that have to sort of come in on shifts 24-7. Have you heard about this kind of thing? I think it's called commercial care or something like that. And this is what one person says about it. It's one of the most expensive, unsafe and least therapeutic forms of care as it leaves children without a consistent carer in a non-family-based setting. Okay, that's one perspective on it. But maybe to some young people, they've got a different perspective. Maybe it sounds like freedom. You know, you don't have to live within the restraints of a family. You get your own place, sort of. Your your roster carers can try and enforce the rules, but you know and they know that the reason you're there is because you don't do rules. But imagine this teenager 
she's come to see that this kind of living is not really freedom at all. There's an emptiness to it. It's, just, it's actually a type of slavery, a depressing slavery. And a foster family situation has become possible. There's a middle-aged lady who is, is keen to take her in. She's going to give her a stable, kind of loving family context that, that she's never had before. And so this, this teenager, she's, she gets a talking to by the social worker just before she goes to live with this lady. And this social worker says, you've got to obey the rules. You've got to stick to the letter of the law. If you want to stay out of the motel, out of state care, and if you want to have something of a good life, please, please follow the rules. Don't blow it. Because if you blow it, if you go in there and cause this nice lady grief, you're out of there. You know that, right? But the teenage girl, she gets there. And she's trying to be careful to follow the rules so she doesn't get the axe. And she just can't do it. Not perfectly. She's all over the place. But the lady, she persists with her. She wins her over. And this girl, she knows she's loved. She knows this lady is committed to her. And eventually the opportunity comes up where the lady finds out that she can actually adopt this teenager. And so she sits her down and she says, do you want this? Do you want to be my daughter? Do you want to belong to me and and I'll belong to you? And you know what? Everything I own, it'll be yours too. We'll be family. And so she adopts her. And now having signed the papers, what do you think this teenager would be thinking? Would it feel right in this story if I said her mindset was awesome? Now I can do whatever I want and get away with it. Now I can live however I want without ever having to worry about going back to that horrible motel room because there's nothing this lady can do about it. If that's what she took away from being adopted, then she hasn't become family with this lady. If she doesn't care at all about what this lady wants, then that means that the bond of family might exist on paper. But in reality, it's dead. In fact, it was probably never alive in the first place. What does the lady want from her? It's not perfection. It's relationship. Relationship that's defined by the bonds of a family. What does God want from us? He wants relationship. Relationship that's defined by the bonds that we have with him. Faith. Which means we now decide how we're going to live by considering what God wants. And one aspect of our relationship with God is that we're set free from sin, yes, but it really does mean we become slaves to righteousness. Now, over the next few minutes, I want to finish by talking about five things, bringing this together, about five things that we should take away from this part of the Bible. We're going to fire through them really quickly, but see if you can take these, remember these and take them to heart. They they come from this passage. So first, we should take this away. The freedom of a Christian from sin is not freedom to sin. You know, a a Christian walks a glorious path on the top of a mountain. But there's a massive drop on either side of this path. And individuals and and whole churches can easily drop off either side if they take their eyes off Jesus. On one side of the path, a Christian can start to think that God only loves them as they perform. God only accepts them 
as they make themselves acceptable to God. It's really the rules that that get them into God's family and it's really the rules that keep them in God's family. Grace on this side of the path is meaningless. It's weak. It's powerless. It's only a word. It's not a reality because really in the end it's all up to me. Now that's one danger. That's one cliff that we could drop off. But on the other side is, is another cliff, another danger. The other side is what we've been seeing today, that we could think that God doesn't care how we live, that we can do whatever we want and it, it doesn't matter what God wants. You know, righteousness, holiness, obedience, those things don't really matter. And on that side of the path, grace is still meaningless. Grace is still weak and powerless it's still not a reality because really it doesn't hold us it doesn't grip us or change us it doesn't bind us permanently in relationship to jesus the path that god takes us on is not a compromise between those two dangers it's something completely different it's grace that's real it's only god making us acceptable to him and it's only god leading us on in what he loves with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Now we'll stumble on this path at times, but what we won't do is let go of faith in Jesus, which makes us go on wanting to obey him. Are you aware of those two sides of the cliff? The freedom of a Christian is not freedom to sin. It's freedom to follow Jesus. The second thing to take away from this part of the Bible is that when your old boss shows up, you don't have to obey. I don't know about you, but I hate it when I bump into old bosses. It's awkward. You know, especially if they're horrible bosses. I think of this boss I used to work for who was this sleazy pharmacist. He was sleazy because whenever someone walked into the shop, all he saw was money. And he was sleazy with the the female staff that he employed. Now, imagine he turned up to church today. Hopefully he's not here. or, Or at least he doesn't know that I'm talking about him. Imagine he turned up to church today and and he he started telling me what to do, started bossing me around. Now, maybe to start with, a part of me might sort of kick into autopilot and think that I needed to do what he said. But I tell you what, in a heartbeat, I'm going to remember, hey, you're not my boss anymore, buddy. I don't have to do what you say. Well, our old sleazy boss, Sin, is all around us with his wandering eyes, wandering hands. But we really are free from having to obey him because we've been freed to belong to a better master. Now that is something to celebrate. When your old boss shows up, and he will, every day, we don't have to obey. The next thing to take away from this passage is that if you give something power over you, it has power over you. When I was younger, I remember a speaker once said at a conference, if you give in to lust and pornography, it's like feeding a tiger. You make it stronger. You give it power. Now, this is actually true for all sin. But the flip side of this is also true. If you starve it, you give it no power. Sin has no power over us except what we give it. Now, that doesn't mean it's not a struggle. It means it's not our master. Sin only masters us when we allow ourselves to believe the lies that it's telling us. 
don't believe sin when it promises you anything. Don't give it power and it has no power. And this isn't the power of positive thinking or something like that. This is the power of belonging to a better master who is far more powerful. The fourth thing to take away from this is this. Offer yourself to God in the same way you offered yourself to sin. Now, it seems a bit strange, but in a sense, we can actually learn from our past slavery to sin. Look at verse 19. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. In the same way we pursued and, and lived for and offered ourselves completely to sin, now we're to do this with God. In the way that we, we threw ourselves at different idols, pursuing sex or greed or career, that same kind of single-minded passion and drive and devotion, we should now direct toward God. It's one or the other. It's either slavery and devotion to sin or slavery and devotion to God. There's no neutral ground. Faith in God is best expressed by pursuing God with passionate obedience. Do you know that? Faith in God is best expressed by pursuing God with genuinely passionate obedience. And then the final thing to take away from this passage is to think about the benefits of slavery to God. Look at verse 21. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. We tend to think of slavery to God as something that's hard. And the truth is, sometimes it is. But most often, it's, it's a joy. And it's never, ever without amazing benefits. I'm trying to redo the, um, the backyard at home at the moment. And most of the time, it's just pure joy, you know, out there working hard, but working in the sunshine outside. I'm, I'm loving it. But then other days, like this Friday on my day off, I'm out there working and I'm not loving it at all. I was trying to dig a, um, a gravel circle for a fire pit and it's near where the uh, beehive currently is. You can only move bees a metre a day or otherwise they get lost. And um, so my bees have been on this epic journey from one side of the yard to the other. And I've been trying to work around them. But it turns out that my bees don't want a fire pit. And so on Friday, I was working in the sun in my bee suit with about 20 bees hovering around me at all times, guarding me, with one of them bouncing off the veil, trying to sting me in the eyeballs. And eventually, one of them got through and stung me right on the tip of my nose. Now, how do you think, as I stood in front of the mirror trying to pull out the sting out of my nose with tears in my watering eyes, how do you think I felt about redoing the backyard at that point? I felt like giving up. I felt like giving up. And you know, there are always going to be moments like that in our walk with God, always. But what is it that's going to get me back out there in the bee suit, in the sun on Friday? It's thinking about the benefits of what I'm doing. It's thinking about 
the fact that the epic journey of doing up the backyard with the stories makes it all the more worthwhile. It's the joy of seeing things come together bit by bit. It's the joy of thinking about the final goal, the plan that I've got in my head and the plan that I've got on a piece of paper coming together in the backyard. Slavery to God has got the benefits of righteousness and holiness. And these benefits start even now in this life. They flow even into our relationships, our marriages, if we're married, our relationship with our kids, even our health, all sorts of things. And ultimately, the benefit is eternal life. Not because we earn it, but because we really have bound ourselves to the God who gives it freely. But there are times where obedience is so hard, where we do just feel like giving up. And you know what? If you never have moments like that, if you don't have moments where you feel like giving up because obedience is so hard, are you actually obeying God with that passionate obedience that this passage drives us to? The benefits are huge. We know God as Father. We know Jesus as Lord and Savior and friend. We reap righteousness and eternal life as a gift from Him. So let me ask you, is your obedience to God your passion? Is it your passion? Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much that we are bound to you because of Jesus, because of our faith in him. We are absolutely bound to him and so we are bound to you. And Lord, we thank you that this bondage, this slavery is one where you give the world for us, where you gave your only son for us to give us eternal life. Father, when we are finding it just so hard to obey, lift our eyes again to see that sin is a master that drives the life out of us now and drives us to death. Lord, lift our eyes again to see your love, your compassion, your goodness, that obedience to you really is best for life now, even when it's hard. And being bound to you is what gives us real life for all eternity. Lord, fill our hearts with joy as we trust you and as we obey you in this life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.